You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarlane. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bowes. Great to be with you today. Uh, I'm not joined by, of course, Trish McFarland. She's out on assignment, I believe, but she may call in. We may hear from her mid-show. We'll see. But if not, uh, you've got me. That's all right. We'll hang in there together. We've got a super topic, a great guest waiting in the wings. We are going to bring her on in a moment. Just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, We're winding down a really great 2019 on the HR Happy Hour Show and on the podcast network. So Make sure you are subscribing, tell a friend, just search for HR Happy Hour wherever you get your podcast. Love to hear folks listening on Spotify too. We got the Spotify feed finally fixed a couple of months ago and I have heard from a couple of folks who are now finding the show on Spotify, which I think is pretty awesome. So uh, we're booking out for 2020 for the first quarter, maybe into the second quarter. So if you have an idea for a topic or a guest, anything you'd like us to consider, you could tweet us at HR Happy Hour or find us. Uh, we've got a new uh, relaunched, redesigned website. You can contact us through that website. That's hrhappyhour.net. And finally, uh, going to still keep pushing the Alexa show. It's still going strong. I will probably record one later today, but you can find our short version of the HR Happy Hour show on your Alexa device. To your news updates and your flash briefing, just search for HR Happy Hour on your Alexa app. Okay, so let's get on with today's show. Uh, we've got a super guest uh, waiting in the wings. We're going to talk all about uh, coaching and development and, and sort of preparing uh, the organization for uh, next year and beyond. Our, our guest today is Nishika De Rosairo. Nishika has spent the last 15 years of her life focused on just two things, people and impact in corporations ranging from Deloitte Consulting, Apple, Salesforce, Cisco, Chevron, and several others. In her human capital, human resources, and executive coaching roles, she has made decisions and influenced key outcomes across multiple organizations. She's embraced her 15 years of industry knowledge and is now the CEO and founder of her own Silicon Valley company called Experiential Insight with a mission to unlock the human potential of the world. She has developed an accelerated way to unlock human potential through a digital platform that provides executive coaching through an intimate group model that is designed for transformation and growth. And finally, the cherry on top of this is a unique framework she calls HyperQ, which we'll learn about today, that has extensive rigor with the goal of increasing alignment to the success skills required to develop the workforce 2.0 for the future of work. It goes on and on, Ashika. I'm not going to keep reading this. You can tell us more about, about your background and your bio. Please welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you today? Doing fantastic, Steve. Thank you for having me here. Excited. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we were chatting pre-show. You've you've got a tremendous amount of experience tr- all over the world. You've recently relocated. A lot of things going on for you. Um, maybe, you know, Nishika, give us a little bit more maybe that we didn't get to in the bio. Tell us a little bit about you and, and just kind of more interestingly, I think, too, is how you kind of arrived at what you're doing now with Experiential Insight and kind of what what was the the impetus behind what you're doing there? 
Yeah, fantastic. Happy to share. So fun fact about me, I actually grew up on four continents. So my life equally divided into four continents. So it's been a little bit of a fun journey. I remember being younger and being so frustrated every time we moved because just when I would get settled, my parents were up and ready to move. But now looking back, that was one of the best things that actually happened sure. to me. I guess hindsight is one of those wonderful things, isn't it? Yeah, I'll bet. which which continent did you uh, did you miss? That you hit four. I, I'm guessing Antarctica. You didn't make so. Uh... <laughs> I didn't make Antarctica. That is correct. I also didn't live in South America, so I lived in Africa, okay. Asia, Australasia, and North America. Nice. So, okay. Yes, um, and so experiential insight was born because I have spent uh, my entire life being extremely curious about people and super passionate about people development. And, you know, my career started off in human capital, then HR, then executive coaching. And in this journey, you know, I realized that people and their development and unlocking their potential is really where um, my actually heart and soul lie. And it's really my calling in life. And so mm -hmm. Experiential Insight came to be because I wanted to dedicate my journey to unlocking human potential and allowing people to reach their dreams, their goals, you know, wherever it is that they want to go. And interestingly enough, this now has incredible micro and macro impacts in terms of benefits to organizations as well. Yeah, Nishika, thanks for some context, a little bit more of your background. That's super interesting Like as you traveled around the world. I, I, and also the, the word you said, uh, Nishika, that's my favorite word uh, as well, or one of my favorite words is curious. I love that word and I love... Um, you know, when people recently someone asked me, "Oh, what, what, what are, what would you recommend for someone just starting out, right, in, in human capital or an HR field? Like, what, 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 what thing or trait or characteristic do you think is important?" And my answer was curiosity, right? And I think it's so important to be really curious about about people, about how they work together, how they how they can get better, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to be really, really interested and curious in order to be successful at this. So I love that you said that word. It's probably my favorite word of 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 the of the year. I think. Awesome. Yeah, mine too, actually. Yep. Can't imagine a life where you're not curious. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about this kind of idea. A lot of people are talking about, you know, the workforce changing, future of work, workforce 2.0, whatever term you want to use. We spent a lot of time talking about it, honestly, this year on the show. Um, what's your take on it? Like, what, what's kind of be, what's emerging? What's different? I mean, is it is it just kind of incremental change that we've you know, we've come to expect just in our professional lives, or is there something more fundamental going on that has impact on, on how we need to develop people for, for this future? Yeah, such a good question, Steve. So I would say really there's two things. I think employees want different and more meaningful experiences, and companies have vastly different needs. And if we start with employees, I mean, even just a you know general fact, right? Ernest and Young uh, published a report recently where they talked about 25, uh, by 2025, rather, 75% of the workplace is going to be millennials and Gen X. Mm -hmm. I mean, just imagine, you know, the different management style that alone will require, right? We, we haven't been used to managing, you know, for those different needs, right? Based on this new generation and how they've grown up and how they've come to live and expect things. And then from a company side, you know, technology has always forced humans to become smarter. But if you think about it right now, technology is at an accelerated speed where it's forcing us to get more smarter than we ever have been before. And so the needs of companies have changed and education systems haven't fundamentally equipped us to be successful in this 
world where we have accelerated advanced forms of technology. So if we want humans to play and excel alongside advanced forms of technology, it just means that we have to be fundamentally different to how we approach the future of work or workforce 2.0 or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so that I agree with you, Nishik, uh, on, on, on just about everything you said. I, I do think it's different. I mean, technology is always developed and advanced, right? Even through the course of our own careers, whether it's 10 or 15 or 20 years, however long we've been working, you know, I'm old enough to remember kind of email being introduced into the organization I was working with at the time and, you know, how that kind of changed a lot of things. But I do think it's kind of different now. Like, um, and uh, in, in it seemed like we were always able to keep up more easily and adapt more easily. And, and our education systems, as you mentioned, tended to follow fairly closely the needs of uh, of organizations and, and the capabilities and skills people needed. And it, it does seem like it's um, there's more of a gap today than there used to be. Are you finding that when you when you go into organizations and start talking to them about kind of what they what their needs are and what their their challenges are that there is a, maybe a larger gap in, in what they need and in, in the kind of skills and capabilities that you, you have to try to help them develop? Absolutely, Steve. The gap is so big right now. I mean, you know, we at Experiential Insight call it the 80% challenge, which is, you know, companies have spent the vast majority of their time and being in HR, I know this, on their top 10% and their mm. bottom 10%. And <laughs> right. Right? And that 80% in the middle, which is, by the way, the majority of your workforce, you know, the best we could do is we'd send them to training or something similar, hoping that, you know, they could up-level, you know, that the impact would change, et cetera. And of course, in that 80%, there's a whole vast range of people in there with different needs, different requirements, et cetera. But focusing on that 80%, because that's really where your value is, has become more and more of a focus of companies. They may not call it the 80% challenge like we do, but we're starting to see that. And the reason that is so important is because the gap is astronomically big at the moment, because we've always been developed to, you know, have incredible technical skills, like become a strong engineer, an accountant, a marketer, a doctor, but we've never been developed to have visionary intelligence, to be curious, to actually be socially intelligent, to understand how to create impact or to, or to you know, make decisions in a way that drives impact. And these are the things that we're talking about if we're really going to be able to close that gap that, you know, mm-hmm. IBM and so many others are talking about because technology can eliminate you know, so many tasks that are, um, uh, let's say, tasks that can take away errors and, you know, streamline and give us more efficiencies. But where humans come into play is really along the gist of humanly unique skills. And that's where the gap is. Like, we don't even know how to really reach our potential as individuals when it comes to, you know, developing our humanly unique skills, leave alone as organizations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it sounds like, Nishika, that, that, when you're working with organizations or are you how approach kinds of these engagements uh, that you guys do at Experiential Insights that it's not necessarily about, oh, company X needs more people who understand programming language Y, right? It's, it's, it's not as much about that as it's more about something a little bit more fundamental and, and maybe the, um, the ways people have to uh, change and develop in order to navigate a more complex world. It's not about specific technical skills. Is that fair to, fair to say? 
Absolutely. You know, Steve, it is about building change agents at every level. It's about individuals being able to navigate through ambiguity. It's about, you know, individuals being able to be more creative, you know, much more socially adept. I mean, it's all the things that aren't to do with technical skills, just as you said. Mm, that's interesting. I love you said another word. I wrote it down. I always take a lot of notes you know, when we record these shows, but you said another word I wrote down, which was ambiguity. And the only reason I wrote it down was well, it's an interesting word, but it's uh, – I'll never forget this. I, again, I, I'll tell war stories from, from the past, but I'll, I'll never forget this, Nishika. My first professional job when I got out of college, it was a while ago. Let's just leave it at that, sometime back. And I was working for a huge, huge American corporation whose name everybody would know and still knows today. And I, I'll never forget the first time I had a performance review, which I didn't even know what that was, right? I just was out of college. I had never heard of it, right? I knew what a grade was on an exam, but I didn't know what a performance review was. One of the things I got measured on in my performance review by my manager, who's a nice guy, I do remember him, was something called tolerance for ambiguity, which I didn't know. I, I, had, no, I had no understanding of what that even meant. I mean, I, I knew what the words meant definitionally, but I had no idea like how, um, how I could be evaluated on that. And the only reason I bring it up, though, is not because we could figure it out today, but just that this was like a long time ago, right? And we were still talking about it, even back then, at least at this company was, which I find just, I don't know why. I'm sorry for diverting on you, Shiga. I I I find that so fascinating. By the way, so how were they measuring tolerance for ambiguity? I have no idea. I I probably got a three out of five or something. The guy probably didn't know what to do with it, right? Or maybe, you know, it was just a weird thing, but uh, at least... Someone at this huge, huge American corporation, like hundred thousand employee corporation, probably more, had decided we should, we need to, we need to keep an eye on if people know how to handle this. Someone somewhere thought it was important anyway. I love it, and see, it's translated all the way into today, right? Because yeah. the more we work with our client organizations and talk to other organizations as well, I mean, the word ambiguity is sort of, you know, it's status quo in terms of like if you're going to be successful, you have to be able to manage and navigate through ambiguity because that's the only constant, right? The only constant is that there's change constantly happening around happening around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nishika, you know, I want to pivot just slightly, but it makes sense here because we've sort of discussed change, changing nature of work and and people's expectations are changing. Technology, of course, always continually changes. And we do have lots of lots of opportunity and also gaps in organizations where they're maybe not quite prepared or not preparing themselves and and, and their their teams for, for what's coming next. I'd love maybe to just pivot to talk about what you guys do at Experiential Insights just because... It's different, slightly different model than one I've seen before in terms of just leadership development and training and coaching. So maybe just give us a little bit about how you guys approach it there and, and why you think it's it's maybe a better way. I hate to use the word right way because there's a lot of ways to approach this, but maybe a better way and maybe maybe then we can get into some of the impacts it's having at some of the teams you work with. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So basically, we have taken the executive coaching model. And so specifically, the tools, techniques, and psychology behind coaching. And we have created a core product that we call a coaching track. A coaching track is essentially a group of people, specifically six people, who Mm -hmm. transform together over time. And the premise behind a group is because we fundamentally believe that the individual alone is not 
the most significant component in an organizational transformation effort. The individual okay. matters, of course, there's no doubt about it, but what's even more powerful is when groups of people transform together because it has the potential to unlock psychological safety. It has the potential to actually allow people to understand each other emotionally. You know, you break cross-functional barriers, you break geographical barriers, and more importantly, it ends up becoming based on an organizational mandate or an organizational set of goals mm -hmm. rather than an individual's individualized goals. And so the whole purpose behind kind of, you know, moving people together is that you want to shift mindsets and you want those mindsets to essentially change behavior so people can take different sets of actions that result in greater impact. And what's incredible about this whole premise is that the individual wins because they feel part of a team. They, you know, they're vulnerable. They grow together. They have augmented learning experiences. They have shared accountability that comes out of it. And of course, the organization wins because individuals are able to transform and move the needle from X mm -hmm. to Y. And, and so, Nishika, the, the, the group then is, is a group of existing colleagues inside of one organization. Is that what I'm, or is it, can it be just a group of disparate people who come together from across different industries? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, great question. Because we are B2B, everything okay. is within an organization. However, it could be structured differently in an organization. So sometimes intact groups will go through our coaching tracks together. Other times it will be at the organizational level. They'll pick, you know, 300 of their managers who'll go through it together and they'll come from oh, different functions. But mostly how we, uh, place people in coaching tracks is by demographics because we fundamentally believe for executive coaching to be powerful, you have to cater to content context and complexity. And context and complexity are completely dependent on the role somebody's in and therefore the things that, you know, they're held accountable to, what's important to them, what their charter is, etc. So even if they cross-functionally come together into a coaching track, their roles will be very similar so that they can actually be on the same page and, you know, navigate the same challenges and have the same level of context and complexity in their job. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine there's some level of maybe core elements or consistency across um, different groups in terms of what they need and what kinds of skills and capabilities that you're, you're trying to help them develop in, 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 in these coaching tracks. But I got to believe also that every organization would kind of come with some set of unique problems or challenges. Uh, uh, is there some, I guess there's two, two part question. One would be, are, are there some sort of common things that you like to work on uh, with organizations kind of no matter what the organization is and then second secondarily is what would be an example and you don't have to give a, a specific company name you, if you don't want to but like what would be a specific say hey this company needed help with you know developing the next level or generation of leaders right for certain type of business and, and here's how we help them. I guess it's a two-part question. Yeah, both are great questions. Thank you, Steve. So, so I would say commonly, one of the things that we're seeing across the board is that companies are starting to realize the critical nature of their managers. Mm -hmm. And these are mid-level managers because, you know, managers fundamentally, I mean, they're the liaison that are stuck in the middle of the organization in a role where they get to sort of manage 
communication and impact sideways, downwards, and upwards. And when that doesn't happen in a meaningful way, a lot of things get stuck and they never quite move the needle. So manager capability, companies are absolutely gung-ho about right now in Mm -hmm. terms of realizing that that's the stopgap or that's the flow of information right there and how do they tap into it. So we're doing quite a bit of work there actually, which is fantastic. Um, As far as clients and how, you know, we cater to customized needs and what their different strategic imperatives are, etc. I mean, we come from the philosophy that off-the-shelf learning programs don't really work because you're basically assuming a couple of things. One is one-size-fits-all. You're also assuming that every company is going through the same challenges. And although there are threads in there, you know, industries um, vary and hence challenges vary. You know, company charters vary. Challenges vary. So for us, it really depends on what the company wants, and we completely customize to what the company's needs are. But, uh, you know, an interesting client we're working with now, and most of our clients are really Fortune 500 companies that are based around the world, and we work companies globally all the way from Indonesia to to Malaysia to Singapore to the Netherlands, the UK, New Zealand, the US, everywhere. Basically, we're finding that there are some unique requests, right? One of them has lately been a lot around DNI. Companies are saying, you okay, know, I'm sure programs are backlashing oftentimes because training tends to tell people what to think and how to behave and here's a best practice framework but dni is not really about that it could be about you know how do we bring a group of people who are vastly different together so that they can co-create what the future looks like they can co-create understanding as to how to be inclusive or how to remove some of their own self-limiting beliefs for themselves so dni is an interesting topic that you know has come sort of to us that we didn't necessarily go chase but there's a lot of need there around how do we not look at dni even as a statistic but really bake it into how people think on a day-to-day basis whether you are the minority or you mm-hmm. are the majority right so right. that's been really interesting for us as well yeah that's a that's a really good example nishika like i i wouldn't have thought of it either but it's 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 such a great example where you do have that uh that common thread there, right? Because most organizations or many organizations anyway are thinking about this and maybe perhaps even struggling with it, but it's going to manifest really differently in how organizations want to approach it, um, execute on their strategies, communicate, et cetera, et cetera, based on their culture, the type of company that they are, the given situation that they're in, et cetera. It's, that's a really interesting challenge. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, we were talking to another top client in the media industry um, who's looking to expand with us. And they're going through a massive organization transformation process at the moment where they're splitting parts of their business and so on. And they're now bringing us in to do a bunch of change management work for them. So how do we build the mindsets required for people to cross the chasm Mm -hmm. over to this new business model? And what does it take to be successful in this new business era that they're creating? So there are so many ways in which we can work with organizations. And fundamentally, it comes down to the two things that I love, which is people and impact, Mm -hmm. right? And how do you create that at every level of the organization in terms of developing your workforce, getting people to be day one ready, allowing them to bring the best versions of themselves to work, you know, allowing for greater engagement, loyalty, commitment, all of that. And when that happens, Steve, everybody wins. The individual wins and the company wins. And that's the best part about what we do. Like we get these incredible unsolicited notes from, you know, employees telling us that thanks to you, we've decided to stay at the company. You know, I now feel more meaningful in my work. I feel like I have a purpose. I've started questioning what I do and I'm doing it now differently. You know, it's just so wonderful to kind of see the impact you have on the individuals and on the company as well. 
Yeah, there, Nishika, that's uh, really, really uh, interesting and good to hear, too. Uh, one other thing I kind of have been thinking about as you've been describing the process a little bit and how it's set up and, and, and the impact it can have is this is a bit of a departure and approach as well from like, I think in the past, we might have said either HR leaders might have said this or even business leaders might have said, well, here's what we really need to do. The world is changing. Technology is changing. Culture is changing, et cetera, et cetera. We need to be more agile, whatever. Let's go get some executive coach to coach our CEO or our COO or whomever, right? The uh, kind of that mentor, that one-to-one model, right? That's just the traditional idea that we have about executive coaching. And your model or your approach seems much more comprehensive. Um, it reaches more deeper into the organization, if that's fair to say. And it seems like it, it would have a, a more significant longer term impact as well. I'd love for you maybe just to comment if I'm uh, hopefully I'm right about that. And secondly, just what's your what is your thought on kind of the, the old style, if you will? Let's just bring in a let's bring in a coach to coach up a, a given leader in a, for a given situation. Yeah, such good questions. So I would say the first thing is, I mean, companies have traditionally relied on training and through no lack of their own efforts or their unwillingness to do something different. It's just what we've known best, right? But if you look at the data, Gartner tells us when an individual sits in a classroom, they only retain 10% of what they are taught in that classroom, which means they can act on even less than 10% which is a shocking statistic, right? So it doesn't matter how sexy your training program is or (laughs) or what you want to call it, right? These are the statistics that we're hearing from the Deloitte, the Gartners, et cetera. And so really it's about that next level of how do we actually get people to change behaviors? Because if we're putting people through development, what we're really looking for is to help them change how they behave so that they can take different actions that create greater results. And now executive coaching has obviously been one of the most incredible forms of development, you know, deployed by a ton of world leaders, CEOs, you name it. And of course, these are smart, intelligent people who are not going to spend time on activities that are not meaningful. So it is meaningful. We know Mm -hmm. that. But what we really need to think about is, you know, as an executive, you know, that executive might need one-to-one coaching, but at non-executive levels, is one-to-one coaching really powerful? And the answer is it's not because it's Mm. not groups of people together. Where the power comes in is when groups of people can move together and co-create and be able to create new understanding along the lines and and align to the vision of the company. And so from that perspective, you know, it's about creating alignment actually throughout the organization as well, because what will happen is your senior executives will have an executive coach. They'll show up to work the next day. They'll be talking about the growth mindset and whatever else other cool concepts they've heard and they really are starting to embrace. And everybody else will say, that's great. But what does that mean to me? I have no idea. Right. want things to trickle down the organization and you want everybody to be singing from the same song sheet and taking the same step of actions because you've challenged their mindset, you've, you know, questioned their paradigms, you created self-awareness, you've built confidence, you're equipping them for that next level of action because they now have tools and techniques that they can actually deploy then you've got to kind of take on a group approach that's aligned. So coach your executives, yes, but take those same principles, those same thoughts, the same shifts in paradigms that you're trying to create at the executive level and seep it down Mm -hmm. into different levels of the organization so you create create full alignment. So when your CEO is talking about the growth mindset, the individual contributor who is an analyst on the floor can say, yep, I know exactly what that means and here's how I'm going to approach my work, right? And that's what we're talking about, alignment throughout 
every layer of the organization. Yeah, I love that uh, example, Nishika. You know, and I'm simple-minded. I will say this: I, I, I dumb things down in my own head to help me understand things. So I was, I was thinking about, and I love sports too. I'm, uh, you know, so I, I was thinking about it from a sports team metaphor, which maybe isn't completely a- accurate, but it for me it works. And I was thinking, like, if the team was struggling, or if the team needed to adapt to changes in the style of play, or or just uh, you need to adapt to a more competitive environment, it wouldn't be enough to just try to help the coach get better, right? That would help some maybe, but we need everybody on the team, right? To be aligned with how we're going to change our, our tactics and our strategy and, and, and bought in and, and connected to each other and connected to the purpose. Coaching up, you know, helping the coach will help just a tiny bit and, and it won't be sustainable. It won't be long lasting and it probably won't fundamentally change the results of longer term in the outcome. So I, I, I buy in. I, I love the example. Yeah, we had a guy. Yeah, I just... It. Yeah, it. yeah. We had a guy on the show, and Sugar is a friend of ours, Trish and I, uh, uh, by the name of Dick Richardson, a few months ago. And he um, does tra- training and coaching programs himself as well, slightly differently than what you guys do. But he told us the same thing like, they're much more impactful when a group of, of, of a team from an organization comes together and goes through the experience themselves, like together as a group, and they bond and, and they bring that back to the organization. And the impacts are just much more fundamental and longer lasting than just kind of individuals getting trained off uh, kind of one to one. So yeah, I, I buy into this. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And I, I think your analogy was fantastic around the sports coach and the rest of the oh, team. Oh, good. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this is really super interesting. So I want to, before we let you go, I just want to give out, I want to give out the website again. It's Experiential Insight, experientialinsight.com, where you can learn more about Nishika and her organization and what they're doing and and connect with them. One last thing I would maybe throw out there, Nishika, you mentioned you're working with a lot of Fortune 500s, global multinationals, et cetera. Uh, A lot of the people who listen to the show are not in Fortune 500 companies, not in global multinationals, but but they are in smaller organizations that have many of the same problems and challenges, challenges and are competing with some of these larger companies as well for talent, for customers, for for kind of mind share. Um, Would there be one or two things you may just uh, offer recommendation, advice, et cetera? So maybe my organization is not, you know, I'm not ready to, to dive in you know, at a global level, but I've got, you know, I've got a few hundred employees and I, I need to get them better prepared for the futures. Or one or two things you recommend people do or think about it as they think about preparing for 2020 and beyond? Yeah, such a good question, Steve. And, you know, and we do work with companies actually who are as small as 20 or 30 okay. people. Oh, that's well. interesting. Good to know. Yeah. So uh, I'm a big believer that it doesn't matter what size a company is. Uh, in fact, smaller companies have more of a need to get it right on the people side than the bigger companies, right? So if you take the giant corporations, I mean, they have, you know, money sort of oozing out of their ears in many cases <laughs> where, 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 you know, it's not such a big deal in terms of budgets and if they don't have everybody singing off the same song sheet and so on. But when you're a smaller company, in fact, the business imperative to hire the right people and to get more out of your people in a way that allows them to bring their best selves to work, be more productive, you know, also be more committed to the organization, be more engaged. You know, the chances are everybody wins even more. So I would say if you're a smaller company and you're looking at that next stage of growth, you know, the critical piece for you to ask yourself is yes, engineering is important, sales is important, and you know, product development is important, but at the end of the day, 
behind those functions, there are people. And are they performing at their best? Do they know what the market looks like, you know, two years from now, five years from now? How can you equip them for them to understand and for them to start to co-create together and to get to that next level of impact, right? And and I'm, you know, I'm a, a owner of a company where, you know, we're not exactly 100,000 people either, right? And so <laughs> I, I always think about like even my team, like we go through group coaching because it fundamentally changes the impact we have. And I can see like every single week the team is stepping up and they're taking on more. They're thinking smarter about things. They're making better decisions. They're forecasting what can happen. You know, they're ahead of trends. I mean, and this doesn't happen by chance. And, you know, I've been in sort of the HR space enough to know that, you know, you've got to equip people to be successful. Success doesn't happen because somebody takes a pill and wakes up the next day and goes, okay, voila, here I am. I'm going to be successful. No, it happens because, you know, people invested in you, right? They believed in you. They showed you the path forward. And again, you know, it's really about everybody winning. And if you're going to compete with the big, you know, companies who are in similar spaces, then you have to step up your game, right? And, you know, we're, you know, still growing as well. And oftentimes we win ahead of companies that are actually large, like, you know, they are the Mm -hmm. large multinationals. And we win because of our innovative approach to thinking, because of the white glove service we provide. And because of the fact that our people are everything, you know, like we spend a lot of time and, and I think um, it's um, the marriage group who actually quite a few years ago spent a lot of time developing their people realizing that if they wanted to increase customer satisfaction it started in-house you keep your people happy everything else has ripple effects throughout right and if you think about the customer experience that comes because the employee experience is right so i would say for smaller companies you know don't lose sight of the most important thing and it's your people you've heard it a hundred times before i know yeah but but it's it's worth repeating it's worth repeating, but it's about unlocking the potential of your people. You know, it's not necessarily about greater rewards and so on, but it's about unlocking that potential. And when that happens, magic happens, really. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't say it better myself. I loved, uh, love it, Nishika. This has been so interesting to me. So one more time, the this is uh, I've been talking with Nishika De Rosario. I think I said your name right. I, I was practicing okay. a couple of times. <laughs> Lived on four continents, which is awesome. But more interestingly, is the CEO and founder of Experiential Insight. And you can find and learn more about them at experientialinsight.com. We will, will of course, provide that uh, in the show notes. Uh, Nishika, anything else before we let you go? Anywhere else people can find you? You uh, Towards the end of the year, you're winding it down. Um, anything else you want to mention before we, we let you go? And it's, and it's super early, by the way. I appreciate you getting up early, early to record this with me today, Nishika, as well. Thank you for having me here. The one thing I would say is, you know, I know that talent management departments and companies are small, right? And like they're tasked with so much and it's impossible to do all the things you want to do. And this is where we come into play. You know, we're a scalable option. We can take on 50 employees, 300, 4,000, 10,000. It doesn't matter how many you have and we can help you move the needle in a meaningful way. So, you know, for those talent management folks, HR folks out there who are thinking about how can I elevate myself how can I scale myself you know and this is where we can come into play and it would be a pleasure and an honor to even just have a chat and brainstorm always love talking to smart people so with that you know well I apologize for the last half hour you spent with me but okay (laughs) oh Steve come on now (laughs) kidding see if Trish were here she would have made the same joke so I'll make it for her so uh no, I really love the conversation, Ashika. It's what, uh, really interesting things you guys are doing. 
Um, I would encourage folks to check it out, experientialinsight.com. Uh, thanks so much again, Ashika. Great to talk to you today. Oh, Steve, it's been my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me here. It's been wonderful and so, so fun and looking forward to awesome. chatting more. I hope so. That would be fantastic. So, all right. Great show. Wrapping it up. Uh, I want to say thank you to Nishika once again. And um, also thanks to Trish McFarlane, who not here today, but we say hi to her. Um, I want to thank you guys listening. It's been a great year. I, I'm not totally sure when this show is running. I think it's going to run before the end of the year. And so, but thanks for a great 2019. This has been a record-breaking year on the HR Happy Hour show in terms of listeners and shows and downloads and all those things that are important. So uh, my thanks to you for, for hanging in with us for another great year of shows. And, and we look forward to 2020 uh, and beyond. So, okay, that's it. Uh, my name is Steve Bose. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. And bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.